0: Hi everyone, welcome to Open Source Stories. This is Julia Farioli uh, coming in with a lovely sunny day in Seattle. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to go outside and get some vitamin D. Um, and I am here with Thea Flowers. Thea, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure, I'm Thea Flowers and I am currently in an overcast and slightly rainy Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so we're borrowing Seattle's weather right now. Um, and yeah, so I am a hardware designer, a software engineer, um, a creator of synthesizers, i I'm a woman with many hats. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I maybe do too many things, so.
0: <laughs> that, that's actually a really common theme for for folks coming on Open Source Stories, wearers of many hats, um, I think maybe we should dig into that at some point. Um, <laughs> hats and sustainability, that's a thing. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, a lot of Open Source people do a lot of things and it's it's kind of concerning sometimes I think.
0: Maybe a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, So before we kind of dig in to uh, your story, or one of them, (laughs) we'd have to have a lot longer than we have for all of the stories. Um, Let's start off with a nice, light question. What was your most recent vinyl purchase?
1: Oh my god, okay. (laughs) So... I just got the Bomberman Hero soundtrack on vinyl. Okay, And Bomberman Hero is a game that came out for the Nintendo 64. And it kind of flew under the radar. It wasn't a big deal. Like, it was one of the earliest games for the system. And it didn't really, like, win any awards or anything. It's not, you know, huge. But the soundtrack was done by this Japanese artist named Chiki. Um, And it is, like, one of the most incredible jungle-like sci-fi sounding soundtracks just ever created it's so good it has no reason to be as good as it is but it is amazing and just recently um they pressed a few on vinyl and it's it's been remastered so it sounds amazing and the artwork is just so cute and adorable so that's my most recent vinyl purchase
0: that sounds extremely happy nostalgic all of the the good dopamine feelings.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, like even if you've never played the game or never even heard of it, it's still a good soundtrack. It's
0: awesome, amazing. I hope I will have to check it out. I love that they're rep- they're repressing um, or pressing for the first time a lot of the things that we kind of have this great connection to. Yeah. Um. Yay for vinyl. Uh, right?
1: Yeah. Having a physical thing is, is what the monkey brain
0: wants. <laughs> so. And again, that's like a super common theme for those of us in tech. We like having the physical thing because everything we do is, is intangible. So, yeah. But, yeah, sure. oh my gosh, I feel like this was a great setup. So... <laughs> Tell me about your journey in into open hardware. Like what, what brought you there? Well, A, what is open hardware?
1: <laughs> yeah, so open hardware is interesting. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are familiar with open source software. Well, open source hardware is everything else. It's, um, you know, the electronics design. It's the... Uh, mechanical design it's the packaging design it's everything else right like open hardware is huge it encompasses so much anything physical can be open hardware and it's such an amazing concept to me um just because until i don't know 10 years ago or something it never even occurred to me that electronics could just be open source and like That's amazing. There's so much that you can learn from it. And yeah, so open hardware is really cool. It's a community of people who are freely sharing their designs, especially around electronics, but also through other things like um, any kind of CAD designs. Um, And we're all learning from each other we're all building on top of each other and it's it kind of it's kind of like early open source software over here right it's it's exciting and we don't really know what all is possible here right so it's really cool
0: <laughs> and i feel like there's this like there's a um there was a tipping point somewhere in the past 10 15 years where Makers got really into creating and sharing and, cap- and capitalizing, uh, <laughs> not capitalizing, <laughs> but uh, utilizing the, the, the patterns that open source software has gone through. Um,
1: yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of played into that. There's a lot of factors. There's the Arduino factor which was one of the first big right. open hardware things that was really targeted at makers and newcomers. And like, so much has grown from that. Like a lot of people think of open hardware and they just think of Arduino, but like it's so much bigger than that now that it's incredible. I mean, we had we had companies that are also maker focused like SparkFun and Adafruit come along and they've also grown the movement so much and especially for makers. But what, what we're starting to see is that Open source hardware isn't just for makers, it's also for businesses and organizations and things like that. I mean we have we have CERN open sourcing their hardware designs, which is just amazing. You can go and look at a you know a nuclear grade um, multimeter design if you want to. It's pretty amazing.
0: Excuse me while I go build a particle accelerator in my non-existent basement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think they open source the particle accelerator, but like a lot of their testing tools and stuff are open source. And it's really amazing.
0: Wow. I actually had no idea about, yeah. about CERN. Well, I mean, I knew about CERN, but about their.
1: <laughs> I hope you did. <laughs> it's kind of a big thing.
0: You know, nope just, just no, a little no. bit. <laughs> uh, okay. So what led you to open hardware? How did yeah. you get involved?
1: Great question. So you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier when you mentioned like, as software engineers, a lot of what we do is intangible. Like, especially if you're working on like backend stuff or like, you know, APIs or microservices or whatever they call them these days. Like what you're working on, you can't reach out and touch. You can't, you can't physically hold it in your hand. And even when you make an app, like, there's still some intangibility to it, right? It doesn't feel quite as real. So I worked in software for a long time, um, and eventually I just got tired of making intangible things. And I've been doing music my entire life, so I was like, okay, cool. Um, It looks like I can take some electronics, like an Arduino or something, and some software, which I know how to write, and smash them together <laughs> and make music with that. And that kind of started me on the journey. And along the way, I learned about open hardware, and I was just blown away. And I was like, oh, I got to get out on, on this. <laughs> so so yeah, so I like to make things that are tangible, that you can touch, that you can feel, that you can play with and make music with and annoy people with. I, I think that's, that's what I... That's what I really wanted to do the whole time.
0: (laughs) And open hardware lets you do that.
1: It does. And it helps me let, like, it lets me help other people do that as well, which I think is great.
0: And I know that, you know, part of open source, and when I say open source, I don't just mean open source software, I mean all the opens. Uh, (laughs) That was an odd phrase. Anyway. I know that when, when people kind of get into, into open source, um, one of the things that really is important is, is educating others and educating either through the community or just by making their stuff available for other people to, to use. Um, and so that, that's something very much shared between open source software and open hardware. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the whole thing with open hardware is, is making it where people can learn from stuff. And also like there's a big movement around repairing and reusing things. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you can't do that. If you can't understand the thing that you're holding in your hand. Right. And open hardware really does, Push that forward, the ability to understand the physical things that we create and maintain them and build off of them.
0: Yeah. That's the right to repair movement.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Which I'm a huge fan of.
1: Me I too. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Make things repairable, please. What is there like a fantastic disaster that? In your journey with open hardware that you can relay i I feel like we talk a lot about successes (laughs) what is is there like a funny disaster story that you've got in your back pocket
1: i i have some good ones um one of the things so i actually run an open source hardware company that sells synthesizers so um Starting that up was a a huge learning adventure for me because I've never run a business and I've also never sold hardware. So um, I don't know how to do a lot of things, (laughs) but I had to learn very fast. But um, one of the early things that I did wrong that I was really embarrassed about at at first was um, our third product, I had sent it off to be manufactured and uh, it was 150 units so it was a very small run um all things considered especially now considering our runs are like five six hundred units um but 150 units which at the time to me was a lot that was enormous and as soon as they arrived i discovered a hardware bug i had made a mistake and you know this is like this is not like software where you can just deploy a fix, right? Or you publish a new version of your package. Like I had spent probably at that point seven months working on this product, going through iterations and getting it up to the point where I felt confident in getting it made. And then when it arrived, it was, it was messed up. Oh, no. I was so embarrassed. Um, and I ended up ha- like having to fix it. So it involves me having to manually rework all 150 boards. Oh my um, so on each board, I had to remove and replace six components, and yeah, that sucked. But I learned a lesson, and I also found out that I was in good company. There are lots of companies that make mistakes like this. Um, you know, like especially like if you look at a lot of vintage stuff. You open up, you see the circuit board inside, and you're probably going to see like one mysterious wire that's like soldered onto the board that goes from one part of the board to the other. It's called a bodge wire. That's where they messed up. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a lot cheaper to just do the bodge than to completely respin your manufacturing. So
0: I have learned yeah. I've learned a new term, bodge.
1: Yeah, bodge. It's a great term.
0: Yeah, um, and it's it's. It's kind of reassuring, right? That there, we're not expected to be perfect when we make these things. These things happen. They happen to like everyone.
1: Everyone, yeah. And as much as I can feel bad about making a mistake, I'm one person, <laughs> right? Um, people with teams of hundreds looking at hard- like hardware designs make mistakes. So
0: absolutely, absolutely. How how was uh, when you were first kind of getting into open hardware, what were your first steps?
1: Um, great question. My first steps were basically get an Arduino and do silly stuff with it. And I feel like, like that is relatively approachable, right? You can buy an Arduino starter kit for like almost nothing. Um, well, not almost nothing, but like 20 bucks, right? It's comparatively yeah. cheap. You know, compared to, like, you know, going out and having to get a circuit board made or something, right? Um, That's where I started. And the thing is, like, a lot of those I find really uninspiring. Like, so I got the Arduino, and then it just kind of sat on my desk for, like, six months. And it wasn't until, like, I decided I wanted to make something, like, I had an idea for something that it really took hold. And that I started really getting into it. And um, I found that it's a lot harder to learn hardware than it is to learn software, at least for me. Um, I found the resources are a lot less approachable to people who have no background in engineering or electrical engineering. So it was hard. Um, There's a lot of forums and a lot of nice people in the Adafruit Discord that helped me learn things. So um, I always tell people if they want to get into hardware, like, have some inspiration and find a community because those two things together are really what's going to like set you up for success.
0: Are there any areas of open hardware that are really getting you excited these days?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned like, you know, we ordered a, a, a run of 150 of our product, right? Well, I had to like send that out to... a a contract manufacturer right and like this is a whole thing it's like they do so much to produce your boards and put components on them and all that stuff what's really getting me excited in open source hardware is this movement around mid-scale manufacturing like doing it yourself doing it in-house and open sourcing all of the machines required to do that it's, it's truly awesome so a contract manufacturer that's like, you know, doing what's called surface mount assembly, which is where they they get the circuit boards and they put all the little tiny components on there, right? They have these huge, like basically assembly lines that are consisting of multiple machines. Um, They have a machine that puts paste on the board, like solder paste. They have a machine that automatically picks and places the components onto the board and they have an oven, an automated oven that melts the solder paste and gets all the components soldered into place. And they have optical inspection machines and more and so on and so forth. But the key one in that whole process is the pick and place machine. Like that is the one that basically amplifies your production output. Um, So I've actually been spending the last year or so working with a project that is building an open source pick and place machine that is basically taking 3D printer stuff that has like exploded in in the last 10 years and using the lessons learned from that community and the resources to build an affordable open source pick and place machine. And I actually have one, I run one, I build boards with an open source pick and place machine in house. Um, and I only actually send out for assembly for things that are way too complicated for me to do in here. So yeah, that is an amazing movement to me to see more and more of these mid-scale manufacturing machines start becoming a reality for makers who want to build more than just 10 of something. So
0: that is wild. I love yeah. it.
1: <laughs> me too.
0: <laughs> I and, and I feel like, you know, I think in tech we use the the phrase democratizing x way too often. <laughs> but it kind of feels appropriate here. It's making it, it's it's making it really available and accessible.
1: Yeah, I mean it it is truly empowering people to to make this stuff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's a huge gap in terms of cost and effort and time when it comes to producing a hundred of something versus producing you know a thousand of something and that gap in between a hundred of something and a thousand of something is basically impossible to survive in without this movement so yeah i think it's really i think it's important i think it's incredibly empowering to be able to do that because i can i can make products now that i would not be able to make if i didn't have this so
0: yeah, I mean, the, the phrase economy of scale is is a really important one. And kind of closing that gap is... Exactly. Yeah. Very, very cool. So I feel like I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the fact that, you know, in addition to open source hardware extraordinaire that you are... Um you're also a, a a PSF fellow
1: I am yes. Um,
0: and that's P- Python software foundation um, so in in kind of balancing these these multiple hats that you wear like how how often does your work intersect um, does there is there some sort of uh, time division that you (laughs) allocate i don't i don't even know
1: so thankfully like being a psf fellow doesn't necessarily come with any responsibility um it's it's mostly a um like an honorary title which is great um so it's for work that i've already done so i don't have to continue doing (laughs)
0: the best kind of work
1: the best kind of work right um no but more seriously like i over the last two years, since I've left sort of corporate tech, I've done less Python. And, um, but at the same time, I've still done a lot of open source software. And balancing software that's completely uninvolved with open source hardware, or at least mostly uninvolved with open source hardware, and actually making hardware is extremely difficult. In fact, um, I'm working on an open source software project right now, Um, that is somewhat related to open source hardware, but it is a purely software project. It's called KeyCanvas and it is a web viewer for KeyCAD. Um, KeyCAD is like basically the open source software that you would use to design a circuit board and building a web viewer so that people can easily share and um, document and embed their schematics and board designs is really cool. And that's, that's pure software. And even though it is looking at hardware, it's pure software. It's so hard to balance that with, okay, yeah. Now I need to go design a board. I need to go like troubleshoot some hardware, or I need to go you know program and test 200 of something. Like it's hard, and yeah, and because of that, like a lot of my Python stuff hasn't quite gotten as much attention from me. So for me, my what what i feel i owe to the python community or what i feel like I, I want to do for the python community is empower them to to take on the responsibilities that i used to have <laughs> um so there's there's one project called knox that's used for testing and my only job on that project now is to make releases and it's the easiest job in the world the contributors handle everything else and i've empowered them to do so right somebody comes along and they're like hey i want to contribute to this i'm like cool you want to be a maintainer (laughs) so you know just empowering them to do what they feel is the most useful thing i don't review features to make sure that they're right i'm I'm not a benevolent dictator i'm a benevolent release manager just tell me what you want to release and i'm going to release it so you know it's that sort of thing where i'm just i just want to empower people to to do the contributions themselves instead of just expecting myself to do everything
0: passing the baton is is a very real skill and i think it's one that we need more of in in open whatever right
1: yeah yeah we can't succeed on our own right like nobody can can build the entire universe of open source anything right. We need, we need help. We need other people. So,
0: yeah, yeah, A- absolutely. So I know we're at the the end of our time, mom is, <laughs> which went by way too fast. Um, <laughs> any parting thoughts on open hardware on like getting involved?
1: Yeah. Like I said earlier, the most important thing is find your people, find your community. Like, all of this is hard. Like Learning how to do any of this is hard. Sticking with it is hard. Being successful and failing are, are both hard, right? Like, condolences on both sides. So it's important to find and surround yourself with people who are excited about what you're doing, who are knowledgeable, who are also learning. And if you have that community, there's no way that you can actually fail. You will stumble, sure, but Having that community will make sure that you accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish. So that's my parting thought. Find your people.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, (laughs) Thea, for coming on Open Source Stories. It was an absolute delight to have you.
1: Likewise. It was a delight to be here.